The 2022-23 NBA season is finally here. Let's go. Let's go. We'll break it all down in terms of previewing opening night between the Celtics and the Sixers and the Lakers and the Warriors. Plus a look at what we're most excited about this season. And we'll do some on-off splits. All that and more as we get started with the NBA season on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome everyone to Locked On NBA, your daily source for all things NBA from the Locked On Podcast Network. Glad to have you with us. Glad you chose to make us part of your day, part of your week. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, where you can watch a live version of the show. Thanks for making us your first listen. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network and co-host over at Locked On Nuggets. I'm joined by my co-host, David Ramil, the most popular man in the city of Houston, Texas, and co-host of Locked On Heat. David and I caused a little bit of a stir with the conversation about Jalen Green last week that resulted I don't, in... I don't recall. <laughs> Have you ever had an NBA player subtweet you, David? Is that a thing that you, that's, ever, that's happened to you? It's happened to me a few times, but has it happened to you before? <laughs> No, this is my first. I'm so glad it happened. A popular, I love being popular in any major city like that. But you know what? I'm still here, surprisingly. I don't, I, people questioning the validity of my being hired by the Lockdown Network, and yet here I am, back again, to talk about NBA basketball. I'm loving every minute of it. Can't get rid of us quite that easy. So on today's show, we will preview <laughs> game one of the NBA season. We've got the Celtics and the Sixers opening things up in Boston. And then we'll, we'll take a look at the Lakers and the Warriors as well in tonight's, as you listen to this on the podcast, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, but in tonight's uh, opening night of the NBA season, it's finally here. Uh, we will do in our final segment, we'll do on off splits, a new segment we're going to do where David's going to talk a little bit about some off court stuff in the NBA. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the on court stuff, some stuff that we're keeping an eye on that we're thinking about in terms of the association. Okay. Let's go ahead and get started, David. As we turn our attention to opening night and two really good games. This is a good set of games uh, for opening night, even if the late one is a little bit like, hmm, is it going to be good? It's going to be telling. We get to find out a lot, I think, right from the jump. We'll get to that whole debacle in a second. But I wanted to go ahead and start off with the Philadelphia 76ers taking on the Boston Celtics. So when last we left these teams, the Sixers obviously with a disappointing exit to the Miami Heat. Uh, many will say that it was because of the variety of maladies that poor Joel Embiid suffered between a concussion and a wrist injury and a thumb injury and all sorts of things that went on with him. Um, yep. I think that he would have won that series anyway. Just Maybe. Right. I'm not just saying that to get along with you. Uh, and uh, the Boston Celtics obviously losing in the NBA Finals after having a really golden opportunity uh, to maybe steal that series, could not get it done. And so now the biggest question I have going into this game, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of them that are up here, David. My biggest question is are the Celtics going to look like, are they just going to pick things up where they left off? So they were the best team in basketball for four solid months. Um, actually six, really, if you kind of, if you count like the end of January through the end of May, this was the best team in basketball by a wide margin. Like they beat everybody. They were dominant. Uh, they put up defensive numbers that were all time. This kind of came out of nowhere in terms of we thought the Celtics might be good last year, and then they start off very bad, and they clearly weren't as bad as they showed early. But I am kind of curious to see whether or not they just pick things up and are are they that team, or did they get hot for a while? Especially when you look at the coaching change with Joe Mazzulla in for Emei Udoka, uh, they lose Danilo Gallinari. They don't really lose anybody else of note from that team except for Robert Williams, who's out with injury. 
But that's yeah. the question for me, David, is can the Celtics just pick things up where they left off? I don't think so. And I think a lot of that depends on Philadelphia, right? I mean, this is kind of disc- discounting the impact that Sixers can have on the floor. I, I, I'm a believer in what the Celtics are going to be able to accomplish over the course of in an 82-game season. But expecting them to just roll into the version that we saw over those six months that you talked about on game one of the regular season, it's probably a, a, high, a too high expectation for my taste. I just think that it's going to take some time to get there. They have the continuity factor. They've got the chemistry. They've got the knowledge. But they're still incorporating fairly new pieces there in Brogdon in particular. I don't know that they're going to suddenly just click into place there. I don't think we've ever seen them the first night of the season where they emerge all of a sudden and say, oh, this is the same team as they were last year. And in fact, maybe even better. So I, I'm not quite ready to say that they're going to become that juggernaut that we saw over the last half of the season. Do you think they're going to be that good right away? I think it's hard to be that good without Robert Williams. I yeah. He, he was so important for what they did defensively. Um, I, I think I'll be very interested to see whether or not everything just kind of clicks together because they played at such a level that it seemed like those stretches are hard to maintain. And any team will tell right. you that. It's just it's really tough to play at that kind of level for long periods of time. And you'll the response, the way we talk about the NBA is often – well, they're the same players. Like they brought back the same roster, so it's just the same team. Every single season is a little bit different. Like you're yep. your own kind of organism every single year, collectively. Um, personalities change a little bit. Health changes a little bit. Game changes. Priorities. Priorities. That's a great. Uh, yeah, great point. That the priorities and agendas change. You know, Grant Williams obviously shopping um, for a deal, and and then you've got. You know, things just just small things like shooting percentages. If everybody's in a rhythm and everybody's making shots, well, what does the Celtics offense look like when that's not happening? It can really kind of clunk up. And again, that kind of gets to um, you mentioned that you want to give make sure that we, we give the Sixers appropriate credit here for their role in this. And I think that that's really important because that's my other thing. This is a statement opportunity for Philadelphia. Uh, I, I personally think the Sixers are going to finish uh, number one in the Atlantic Division. I, if you ask me right now to choose who's going to have the one seed in the Eastern Conference, I'd say the Philadelphia 76ers. Hmm. To me, this is the best team that has ever been built around Joel Embiid. This is the best roster the Sixers have had with Joel Embiid uh, on the team. And so, and one of the best rosters, honestly, that the Sixers have ever had in their, their franchise history, which is saying something because they've had some great teams. So, you know, this is an opportunity for them to come out on opening night and really show that they are the, the it team this year, that they're the ones with all the momentum, that they had a lot of things to deal with last year. Harden's hamstring injury, his condition wasn't great. He was new to the environment. Um, there were all the interruptions. Last year was crazy for a lot of reasons. This is supposed to, this looks like a normal year. Tyrese Maxey looks primed for a huge breakout. He's my pick for most improved player. This mm. is an opportunity for Philadelphia. If the Celtics are trying to put away the concerns about what all their offseason drama could mean for them. The Sixers instead are facing more of an opportunity. The, the Celtics are battling a negative, right? Rally around, like circle the wagons. The Sixers, this is an opportunity to kind of make a statement on opening night and set the tone for their season that they are the beast in the East. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think they will look at it as exactly that opportunity. I mean, not just the opportunity to knock off the Celtics, who are a very, very good team, but to prove who they are as well, to just kind of just put it out there right away. We are for real. This is an improved team, not just on paper, but also on the hardwood as well. So I, I really, I'm glad you brought that up because I do see themselves just kind of redefining who they are as, as a legitimate contender. You know, there have been kind of, shaky versions of this team in the past that are kind of pseudo 
quasi contenders, but this is the best roster around Joel Embiid. You've got hard and committed. You've got a, a great young player in Maxi, et cetera. So this is this feels like a well-rounded group that understands the assignment over the course of a season. And you start making your impressions early on because it's going to be crucial, especially in the Eastern Conference with so many teams at the top. You've got Milwaukee, you've got Cleveland, you've got Miami, Brooklyn, et cetera. A lot of teams that see themselves as being within that same category as contenders. And so you want to get off to as hard a, uh, hot a start as possible. And it begins on game one for the Philadelphia 76ers. I trust that the Celtics can find that rhythm later on in the season in a way that Philadelphia might not, just because of the continuity we were talking about earlier. For Philadelphia, it's not necessarily about the continuity. It's about making a statement right away, letting everybody know this is a legitimate team. This is the best version of this team that we've had in a long, long time, if not, as you, to your point, ever, and that we want to let everybody know that we are for real. You've got the veteran presence, and then be now an older player, understands the challenges of a, of a season, the long grind. P.J. Tucker, he doesn't take games off. He's going to come out firing right away. Uh, big loss for Miami, but also a huge addition for the Sixers. I, I, I'd love uh, that this is the matchup here because you've got the Celtics as the defending number, you know, not number one seed, but the defending Eastern Conference finalist uh and you at the same time you've got philadelphia as the up-and-comers who want to prove themselves so badly uh it's a it's gonna be a fantastic night of basketball i have to stay extremely on brand here if you think that the <laughs> celtics are gonna be good and the nets are gonna be good and the raptors are gonna be good and the sixers are gonna be good <laughs> if you think all these teams are gonna be good and both these teams have designs and like the difference in the playoff series may literally come down to home court like that can be the difference yep. between whether you go home or not do you have key games of the series, including game seven on your home floor. You know what? If you wind up tied in the standings, guess what decides that your head to head record versus these teams and your division record in the case of these teams. So right off the bat, if you say like, no, you know, it's the first game of the season uh, and no NBA regular season game really matters. I'll just tell you, if you think that your margins, it depends on how big your margins are. If you don't yeah. think the margins are that big because you think these teams are good, both these teams need to win this game. Uh, another interesting kind of subplot to keep an eye on. Joel Embiid's had trouble with Al Horford. I know it sounds random. That sounds crazy. That sounds absolutely wild. Eight and three, straight up. Al Horford is in his career versus Joel Embiid. Uh, the Sixers did go three and two versus the Celtics last year, but Horford was out for some of those games. Uh, it, it's important, I think, just to, to kind of note that there are very few players that have had success slowing down Embiid. And Horford is the the absolute prototype of the guy that gives him trouble. For whatever reason, it's the strength and, and skills combination. Horford's quick enough to disrupt his, his dribble and guard him in, in space, and he's strong enough to handle him on the inside to the degree that anybody can. Now, Embiid can go ahead and have a monster game, but I am going to be keeping an eye on that matchup because Horford's been a little bit of a struggle for Embiid throughout the years. Um, let's move to the other game because – not not maybe necessarily as meaningful on the on the title picture uh for one team at least not yet really interesting though los angeles lakers taking on the golden state warriors on ring night the warriors obviously celebrating their fourth championship together raising another banner up in the uh, chase center rafters that's weird that they i guess i'm trying to think now like how does one transport like do you take them all down at once when you move them from oracle i'm trying to think like how that that happened uh regardless i think most of the intrigue for this game for me david is is definitely on the lakers side and really this is the, the question i wrote down to ask you what if the lakers win this game 
for for <laughs> all of the offseason drama, for all of the oh my gosh, look at this roster for how much of a mismatch this appears to be. What if the Lakers actually go out and win game one in Golden State on ring night? What would that mean? <laughs> that That's their championship, right? That would be their title. Oh. <laughs> this, <laughs> in October. I mean, like, I know I'm being uh, over-exaggerating there, but I think that would that would set themselves up, unfortunately, for, for future failures, right? Because you can get it all together. Like, we've seen this from the Warriors before. They have the experience to say i don't care if we lose to the lakers on ring night or any other night during the regular season that's not our priority we know how, how what it takes to go through 16 wins when they matter most which is in the playoffs and, and so their eyes are in late may early june and that not at some random game to start the season as much as they want to showcase for the fans and put on a show and everything else like that i think the the fans that uh, Chase Center. I still want to say Oracle. Uh, I, I think they'll understand that if they lose there, uh, that it won't be that big a deal. They'll come back. Look, Warriors fans, and deservedly so, are a little spoiled. And why wouldn't they be? They've won a lot over the last few years. And, and so it's not about beating the Lakers. It doesn't matter in October. It matters later on down the road. So for the Lakers, though, this is their chance, right? AD, healthy. He'll be in the lineup. What do we get out of Russell Westbrook, et cetera? What do these bench player role players, do they step up and find a way to play alongside LeBron James? Is LeBron a point of pride for him as it has been for a number of seasons? Can he still play at a high level uh, at this point in his career and in his life? I mean, given his age. So this game has a lot more importance for the Lakers than it does for the Warriors. So I can't imagine them coming out and wanting to make a similar statement to what we just talked about for Philadelphia. Take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about what we're excited for for this NBA season. We have some things on our list that we're really looking forward to as the NBA season gets set to tip off. We'll talk about that. But first, I've got to tell you about LinkedIn jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. As we kind of look at the job market is obviously uh, the it's pretty competitive at this point, right? After a long period where lots of folks were available because of the pandemic, now it's getting a lot more competitive and you're trying to find the right people. Hiring can really slow down your business. I've, I've owned small businesses before and having the wrong people, that's a headache and it keeps you from addressing the things that you need to do. So getting the right candidate into that position is so important. Um, they've got great features over at LinkedIn Jobs, like the screening questions, which make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to, to interview and hire. Um, it's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. They help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We'll be right back on Locked on MBA.
back here on Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us. I'm Matt Moore alongside David Ramil, uh, friend of both Los Angeles and Houston, it turns out, as we take a look at the start of the... I can't believe that that was such a contention statement. Like, I mean, I know their, their aims are bigger than that, but they'll be much more excited. I get, don't you agree that there's a lot more at stake for the Lakers than it is for the Warriors just to play a meaningless game in October? Yes, um, but the difference, David, is that I've learned which things to say and which not to say to protect my mentions. That's the difference oh. between you and you. And oh, I, I've never learned that. I've never learned that. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the two things that we're looking forward to the most about this season. Figure we got time for two of these. We'll go back and forth. I'll go ahead and go first. Um, for me, it's sorting out the best players with, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on all the wood, fewer injuries. So, like, last season – how good is Nikola Jokic? Well, he's obviously amazing. He's a two-time MVP, and look at all the numbers, and look at this and that and the other. Well, the team's not very good. Well, Joel Murray and MPJ <laughs> are not in, so how can you really tell? Or, okay, where does Kawhi Leonard fit in? Like, I've heard wild discussions of Kawhi Leonard uh, in the offseason between, like, some people think he's a top-five player, and that, I can't really argue with that. Like, at his peak, that probably is where he looks at. I don't necessarily put him there, but I think it's fair to include Kawhi Leonard in a top-five conversation. Some people are like, well, he's top 15 because he's never available. And I'm like, I don't, that's crazy to me. Like, he's so good. He's won championships. He's one of the most efficient players across every single type of play that you can find. Getting Kawhi Leonard back, getting Paul George back, getting Zion Williamson back, you know, having a normal schedule, a normal offseason, and there will be injuries. Like, I promise you, a week from now, we'll be talking about some unfortunate injuries that have occurred and how those have already started to shape the NBA season. Like, that's just part of the deal. But, if we can get through with something that's a little bit more normal, we get a real chance because the talent level in the league is so absurdly high right now. Like there's just multiple stars on every single team. Like you look at a team like the Pelicans, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, and on and on and on. Herb, Herb Jones, who I think is, <laughs> is probably on pace to kind of be in that conversation. So Ultimately, I think there's like a lot of these opportunities um, to sort those kind of things out. So that's something that I'm looking forward to as the NBA season begins. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree. I love that you made that point because I think the discourse gets so loud and maybe it's just, you know, this desire to be on social media and, and put a perspective out there that you want to make sure that you support your team or that you want to be as loud as possible uh, and, and swing one way or the other. But it just feels like it just it alters the conversation. There cannot be nuance when it comes to discussing players and certainly gets removed when you start to consider the factor of injury there. So I'm glad you brought that up. Should I add something? Should I add something that I'm looking forward to this season? Yes. Okay. Uh, I will go next and I will say I cannot wait for the definition of a certain handful of teams. Like, I know it's this is an annual tradition, like where we're looking at teams and we have no idea what to expect, but I feel like maybe there might be more because of this, this disparity of talent that you were just talking about, because there's so much talent. Which team rises at the top? Which team starts to struggle midway through the season? Not by choice. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing these teams, Brooklyn, Los Angeles, the Clippers even. You know, both Los Angeles teams, getting a clear sense of who these teams are. Because right now, again, 30 contenders out there. Everybody's 0-0. Everybody's looking forward to the chance of bringing home the Larry O'Brien trophy. But it only happens with one team. And I have no idea. Nobody else does. You can look at which teams you think might be there. 
But at the same time, a lot takes place in, in between now and June when that's finally decided. It could be injury. It could be something else. But, you know, you look at a team like Brooklyn. And I, I don't know we've talked about Brooklyn a lot over the offseason. And at the same time, so many mysteries on that roster. How do they congeal? Do they congeal? Do they form the kind of powerhouse that we think they might be capable of being? Or do they just crumble and fall apart? You know, what, what happens in Los Angeles? What happens elsewhere around the league? Uh, there's a lot of question marks, and I cannot wait to see those answered over the course of the next few weeks. I'll go with my second thing, which is, for me, I, I got to say, I'm excited because it feels like we're going to have a little bit more diversity in play styles this season. Um, you know, you talked about the kind of defining out what these teams are, but night to night, the three-point revolution, which I'm not against at all, but it, it has created a little bit of a monotony because you don't ever want basketball to be solved. You don't want it to just be like, this is how you should play, and everybody's going to have one guy run high, pick and roll, and then kick out the shooters, and they're going to shoot threes. And we have, I think, a real separation that started to form in terms of the, the diversity and variety of how teams can play. Um, you know, the Nuggets operate around Nikola Jokic. The Timberwolves are going to run a two-big set with Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. You've got teams that are are extremely small. The Miami Heat don't have a power forward. Fascinating kind of turn there and, like, what they're going to attempt to do. You've got uh, Phoenix, who's trying to diversify a little bit more. They, they let JaVale McGee go and now are likely to play a little bit more diverse with Dario Saric taking some more back of the uh, small ball minutes. You've got the Warriors, obviously, who everyone kind of thinks of as the prototypical small ball team, but Kevon Looney plays a big role on that squad. Um, you have all these really interesting teams. The Celtics are another squad that really, you know, they added Robert Williams. And so they played a little bit bigger with Al Horford and Williams at times, but they can also go, you know, to one big, a lot of teams can play different ways. And that's becoming really the challenge is how many different ways can you play? It's not just what's your identity, but it's how many different identities can you adopt successfully? And that kind of wrinkle, I think creates interesting play style clashes and counters because that's one of the things that we love in sports is not just the incredible athletic competition and performance and all those, you know, heroic moments, but also, you know, how do these teams game plan for each other and how do they counter one another? That's one of the great things about sports. And it's often missing in the regular season. And especially as if everybody's playing the same way, but teams playing differently, I'm excited to see kind of like what that looks like this season. Yeah, that's that's well said. Uh, you know, Eric Spolster talks about this all the time. Like looking at this roster, even last year's roster to some degree, just the the kind of versatility and play styles based on the kind of personnel that you have and that you can roll out a big lineup or a fast lineup or these different kinds of just rotations that you might not have expected. And and over the course of the year, we'll see how effective they are, whether or not they can start changing and being effective enough so that they get significant amount of playing time together. But that's an excellent point to see that across all 30 teams for the most part. Uh, and I just, I love to see that kind of minutia played out. It's fantastic to see, you know, what kind of styles you see on a night to night basis and, and, and as they start to work and how they can create these different X factors when you're looking long term over the course of the season, whether or not they project in terms of certain matches versus certain teams. Oh, this this lineup really matches up well with this team if they meet up in the playoffs and things of that sort. It's a fantastic thing to see. Um, uh, I am drawing a blank here in terms of uh, what my next thing was going to be. Uh, oh, man, I, 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 I should have written battling, it down. Is it going to be battling with, with, with Houston fans? Because I can no. every time Jalen no. Green has a good game, that's what you'll be doing, my friend. Is you'll be no, no. Like 
those. Yeah, I know. I, I, hey, 33 points in a preseason game against the Pacers. Start penciling him into Springfield. Uh, in any case, uh, I like seeing role players. I like seeing which role players emerge over the course uh, of a season. And, and you know, this is a superstar-driven league, and as well it should be. Those are the names of the commercials. Those are the stars that sell shoes, et cetera. But at the same time, you mentioned Herb Jones. Uh, you mentioned Robert Williams. These are the guys that swing a series if they're effective. And if they're rendered useless and unplayable, or if they're hurt for whatever reason, a championship swings one way or the other. And that's the over the course of a season, when you see those guys start to emerge, it's like, hey, this guy really st- he pops. He stands out in these certain lineups, or he really has these moments there, and he's under the radar. Picking up on those players that are under the radar early on in the season and then they start to grow and emerge. Maybe as a super fan of your respective teams, you really love those players, but then to see them kind of just emerge on a national level and say, you know what, that guy's pretty damn good, and he really changes the outcome of certain games and certain lineups. I love to see that play out. Uh, it's just—it's one of the fascinating subplots over a really interesting NBA season. Oh, we've talked a lot about PJ Tucker in this episode. Um, yeah. To me, he's like the ultimate role player in that he's not a star, but everybody knows him and everybody knows how good he is. A good example yep. of this is—I think it's easy to kind of forget like what makes him great. Uh, when I was doing all the film work for. I did over under win total analysis for all 30 teams. So like you just pull up different things about whatever team is really good at to see like, okay, what works here? And a consistent thing I found, you know, you look at obviously pick and roll comes up a lot. And whether it was Trey Jones, the San Antonio or Lonzo ball, or even some of the guys like Trey young, uh, who's phenomenal. Like Trey young, John Collins, that's an incredible combo. PJ Tucker demolishes pick and roll with those guys. Like, just single-handedly, we'll just re- you'll watch him, and he just reads, makes the perfect read almost every time, whether it's disrupting the pass or the dribble or contesting. And those guys really do make a difference. And like they are oftentimes a separation. This is a stars league, but too often we act like all the rest of the guys are replaceable, and they are not because the guys that do their jobs, those guys are the best of what they do. And that stuff does matter when it comes to winning and losing, which ultimately is the number two reason the NBA exists behind money. Uh, let's take a break and we'll come back and we're going to start a new segment here that we're going to be doing every week called the on off split, where David's going to talk a little about something off court that he's interested in and thinking about. And I'm going to talk about something on court that's been in the back of my mind uh, as we go through the NBA season. So we'll come back and we'll do a little bit of on off split when we finish up here on Locked on NBA. Final segment here on Locked on NBA. Thanks for joining us, making us your first listen each and every day. Make sure to check us out all throughout the week. You've got John Corrales, Jake Madison, great show on Wednesdays. You've got Pat the Designer along with Nick Angstot on Thursdays. And on Fridays, David's partner, Wes Goldberg, with my partner, Adam Mares, And do a little switch up there, and they're on the Friday show as well. All right, David, so final segment. We're going to kick off the on-off split. This is a great idea that you kind of had. Talking because you talked to, I asked you like, what do you like to talk about with the NBA? And you're like, I really like to talk about, you know, the off court, the stories that matter with the league. 
And um, because I'm a, a basketball nerd, I like the on-court stuff and a lot right. of uh, the numbers and, and how those things could play out. So we're going to get that kick started with this week. So with the NBA season starting, what's your off-court storyline or thing you've been thinking about? Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the uh, Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes and how it's going to change the landscape of basketball over the course of uh, this year, like early on. I think we're going to start to see its early impacts because we're we're at a point now where the timelines for teams feels much more accelerated. Even if you have long-term rebuilding projects like Oklahoma City or uh, what's that team in Texas, uh, you're looking at you're looking at adding a generational type player and, and Webanyama certainly fits the bill there. And you're going to see teams that I, I think are going to start to tank early on in order to increase their chances. Like if things start to go south, even for a team like that might have some playing aspirations. Uh, if, if things don't go right a hundred percent right away, if things don't click immediately. I'm curious to see how soon we'll start to see teams kind of throw in the towel or that we could see players in as early as December getting uh, increased amount of you know rest for injury and things of that sort. A soft tank, if you will, early on, just kind of feeling the waters. Because I think it's really going to change. Like, Webanyama might be that kind of player. And Scoot Henderson, too. I think you'll see a lot of players, a lot of teams say, you know what, we'd be happy with any of these generational-type talents that are going to change our teams and improve our, our chances in the long term that we can build around. And, and seeing how teams start to kind of just throw in the towel early on and, and that might lead teams being much more willing to trade quality role players to the point I brought up earlier to contending teams. You know, oh we've got a we've got a Harrison Barnes in our team in Sacramento. If we're not really quite there yet and we don't think we're gonna be there this season, we'd like to increase our chances, you could take them off our roster, et cetera. There's a lot of teams out there that are going to be in that mid range right now that are not quite contenders and more hovering around the playing tournament that I think will throw in the towel early on. So that's that's what I'm curious to see how it plays out. Okay, well, first off, I have a lot of money on the Kings over 31 and a half wins. So you, <laughs> you keep Harrison Barnes out of your trade rumors. I need that guy to go ahead and get over the 31 and a half mark. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I'm hoping – I know what's probably going to happen. It's disappointing from the perspective of, one, like the odds are flattened. I don't know why you guys are competing over these like few – I'm all for – trying to gain every single edge. I think those percentage points do matter. I'm not debating that. It's just like really, I, I don't know if this is like, it's just, it's going to be real. I, I'm going to be disappointed with a team, with a, a league and a season where it looks like there's this much talent and you do have the play in tournament and there's all these kind of opportunities, like especially the play in tournament, like you're just going to see so many guys, like so many teams like desperately trying to avoid the play in and that's going to be a bad <laughs> look. Like it just it right. reflects badly on the league. I keep coming back to the bubble. And, and what I mean by that is when we when we had the bubble reopen and the, the, they decided to do a few more re regular season games before the playoffs, Yeah. and it was just the good teams playing the good teams, it was pretty awesome. And I keep yeah. thinking about that. And I keep returning to the idea that the best thing for the league would honestly be that at All-Star, you shift half the league. And at half the league is the playoff team, the teams in playoff contention, and they're battling for seeding. And then the other teams are the teams that are out of playoff contention. And the team with the best record at the end of it, that team winds up with the, the lottery odds. Because it would keep teams in contention to a certain degree. Now, I don't like having players have to compete for the chance for their team to draft their replacement. Not, not big on that. So there needs to be something attached from a player incentive standpoint. But I just keep kind of coming back to, 
I'm I don't want to be dreading these games in March when it's going to be the Clippers who are rest managing versus the the Spurs who are like, oh no, OKC gained two games on us. I guess we'll <laughs> sit down Trey Jones for a week. Like that that's just going to be a bummer, you know. We want we want yeah. competitive games, and so um, I hope it doesn't get too much out of hand this season. The on court thing that I'm really interested in uh, for the on off split is going to be the takeaway, uh, the take foul. The transition mm-hmm. take fouls and that change that we're going to start seeing the impacts of tomorrow night. Uh, oddly, players are pretty annoyed with this change. And one of the totally. things that they've I've heard mentioned from the Nuggets mentioned this, and then I kind of perked up my ears and asked a few people. There is kind of this concern that the officials are going to be unable to tell the difference between just a normal foul and and a, and a take foul. And so it's like, take did you foul. mean to do that? And right. the question then is, all right, if you have to make it look like you're not trying to do it, does that increase the risk of injury? Because you're having to be like, I'm going to swipe at the ball and make a little bit more reckless plays because you don't want to get hit with a take foul. Because if you do take, get hit with a take foul, you get the free throw and possession. So you're giving up the extra. So yeah. I'm going to be curious to see how all this works out. But let's say that it accomplishes the intent, which is the stop, uh, which is to enable transition opportunities. One of the things that's been pretty consistent is that Teams that rely a lot on transition have often struggled to, to generate wins. The Grizzlies are a really great counterexample of this. The Grizzlies were basically only good in transition last year. Their half-court offense was miserable, but their transition offense was so good, and they generated so much of it that they actually overcame it. It's one of the reasons I wasn't as high on them from a playoff perspective. So I'll be curious to see, like, are there teams that are going to be able to take more advantage of this? Are there teams that are so good in transition that because you can't generate a take foul on them, because of these rule changes, if that will wind up helping them in the course of the regular season. And as a result, will we overstate them because those numbers get tied into your overall offensive rating. It's another example of why if you want to, if you really want to pay attention to what's going on in the NBA, you got to get real detailed. You got to really pay attention. There's a lot to cover, which is why you got to be on that league pass app, or I'm sorry, the new NBA, what is it? I'm trying to remember what they're calling it. NBA ID app, I think is the new thing that they're calling it. Regardless, I, I had not seen that. Yeah, going to be on that uh, as much as possible. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us for Locked On NBA for your Tuesday. Hope you guys enjoy opening night. Congratulations to the Warriors as they raise another banner. Back tomorrow, recapping those games and getting you set for the first full night in the association. Until next week, for David Rommel, you can find him on Twitter at DRommel13. I'm on Twitter at HB Basketball. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys again next time on Locked On NBA. Yeah, they haven't had any problems finding me. That's pretty